Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. So we believe in conversation here. Uh, we believe that the person up front doesn't have all the answers for your life. Uh, we believe that God is speaking through every single person, that we're all made in the image of the divine. So would you find three, four, five people around you? We just have a nice light question for you to start off with today. What are you most tempted by? <clears throat> Enjoy. Hope your conversation time was good. We're just trying to trigger a few people there. We're coming back from a dinner last night, and for whatever reason, I just told my wife, Hey, Siri, would you play Audio Adrenaline, my father's house? Wow. It just hit, hit a deep chord within me. That was very odd. Nobody? Anybody like that song? Come on. It's like triggering, right? Yeah. The what? Five Iron Frenzy? Who's that? No, I don't know. It's like Jars of Clay or something? It's like that? Yeah. Oh, we did? All right. No, I just lo I love that stuff. Sometimes you just come across it and you're like, wow. Like, no matter how, it's been like 20 years, but when I hear it, I know every word, right? Well, how, like, anyone still know the hand motions like waves of mercy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I see people doing it there. You got it. Any other good ones? Yeah. Let's see. Oh, what was the other one that someone brought up last night? I'm trading my sorrows. It's in you. Some of you are like, these people are weird. They are. They were evangelicals. It's a thing. Yeah, it's a scary place to be. But you're here now. There's hope. There's light at the end of the tunnel. It's going to be okay. We cope not because we're evil, not because we're bad, not because we're depraved sinners. We cope because we're just trying to care for ourselves. Coping ends up being a dysfunctional, unhealthy version of caring for ourselves. but we originally got into it, whatever it was, because we needed care as a human being. So much of the work that we're doing at New Abbey, and I talked about this last week as we're thinking about reconstructing Jesus, is the work that we need to do is to reclaim and redefine so many different definitions and terminology in our lives. And so today we're going to talk about temptation. I know you haven't been there since like high school youth group, right? No, it's not a question or a conversation on how far is too far. Relax. Um, I want to rethink temptation in a broader sense because we still need powerful words like temptation and sin. We still need big words out there that spark an imagination for just what it means to be human. We're letting go of arbitrary lists where we're told this is in and this is out and nobody really knows why. Well, there's the holy God and this holy God is just angered by these things and just doesn't like shellfish. I don't know. It just is a thing this God doesn't like. It's weird. So we're moving away from that, but we don't want to lose this broader understanding of just what it means to be human. And I don't mean like the human condition, there's something wrong with us. I mean, there's parts of us at times that just hurt 
There's parts of us at times that are just figuring it out. There's parts of us at times that have urges and desires, and to be human is just an incredibly difficult job, and we need to redefine so much of what it means to be human. For me, I do that every day because I'm a parent, and parenting three kids, by the way, not having kids, just being by yourself is already so much work, right? And now you're going to be crazy enough to help manage other human beings? It's pure insanity, people. It's pure insanity. Most days, it's good, and you like somehow get to the end of the day, and you're like, this is worth it. And then there's moments in the day you're like, what did we choose? And I just mean it's, it's difficult in the most beautiful way as everything else is. My favorite moment of my day is at the end of our day, our kids are all in one room on a triple bunk bed. And we go into the room and we go around and we tell God one thing that we're grateful for from the day. And most of the time it goes well. Sometimes we have a holdout, right, and a labor strike, and they're not saying shit because they're pissed that their brother took their Brachiosaurus from them, and there's nothing to be grateful for now. <laughs> Barring those moments, the rest of it is really beautiful. And at the end, after we tell God what we're grateful for, we have a little bit of a tradition about a prayer, and then uh, Carissa sings three songs to the kids, and then I start at the top bunk and work my way down, and they each give me different kinds of hugs, and they each have a special way of how they either give me a kiss goodnight or something that we say or a little whisper that I have for them that's kind of speaking to their identity and DNA as a human being because they're all very different. But what that moment represents for me at the end of every day is that at the core of who we are as human beings is that we're made in the image of God. And regardless of the difficulties or problems that perhaps happened that day, it's that moment where my children remind me that we are made in the image of God, that they remind me that our world is built on goodness, not sin. Our world is built on beauty and wonder, not depravity. And for so many of us, we need to rewire the narratives that we were given in the church, narratives that told us that human beings are inherently sinful, are inherently bad. Be like, well, I don't know, Corey, I've heard about original sin, and you know, there's the first three chapters in the Bible, and there's a magical snake and a magical tree, and they're talking to some things, and Adam and Eve, and you know, before the dinosaurs and an ark. No, these are mythological stories, and I don't mean, I'm, when I say myth, I mean myth is a powerful tool. Myth conveys truth. Those early stories in Genesis are trying to tell us about what it means to be human. They're trying to tell the people of God a broader story about what it means to be human. And those stories are initially rooted in the goodness of the world. And it's not about some people who couldn't resist eating an apple. It's a narrative that we're given the opportunity to live into the goodness, and it's because of the goodness that we even desire sometimes too much. And so we're going to talk about temptation in a different way today, and we're going to talk about temptation as our teacher, and in order to do that, we've got to talk about some things. So we're going to talk about a better starting point, and if we can talk about a better starting point, then we can get into a bigger liberation that God has for us. And if we can do that, the devil, yeah, we're going to do that one on a Sunday morning. Maybe been a while for you. Some of you are charismatic. You talk about the devil every day. I get it. <laughs> you know? The devil did this. 
uh, temptation. And if we can do temptation, then we can talk about teachers. And if we can talk about teachers, then we can just talk about our basic needs. If we'll be honest about our basic needs, then we can talk about halt. And if we can talk about halt, then we can get deeper into the sin of certitude. And if we can realize how certitude is something that has damaged us in the church and doesn't leave room for faith and exploration and growth, then we can move into a little bit of deconstruction. And then we can talk about what it means to be powerful or to empower in our lives. So follow along with me in Matthew chapter 3, moving into Matthew chapter 4. We kind of ended here last week. We're talking about the baptism of Jesus and just a different way of life. At the end of baptism of Jesus, it goes like this. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. I just want to pause there a moment. It's so very important that we recognize what is happening in the life of Jesus before we move on. This is the starting point of Jesus's life. If Jesus is the incarnate one, the one who shows us fully who God is and fully what it means to be human, then we need to look at the starting point of Jesus's life and say, if it's true about Jesus, then it's true about me. So the starting point for Jesus's life is God speaking over him and saying, you are my child. If you remember from last week, this was a big shift for Judaism where you could be a friend of God, but no one had been the son of God. So you had a deeper relationship, a deeper connectivity to who God was. So you are my child and you are loved and I'm actually pleased with you. This is the starting point that we live into. If we don't live into this starting point, we will spend the rest of our lives proving to ourselves and others that we are worthy. That's what we will do. And so we need to begin with this deeply rooted narrative that within our DNA, the very existence and being of what it means to be human, we are made in the image of the divine. Now here's why I say that and I push on this so many times. For so many of us in this room, the starting point began with a problem. You are depraved. You are inherently bad. The idea of original sin comes from Augustine of Hippo. Augustine originally talks about original sin, not as this idea that sin is within all of us and that we're inherently bad. Augustine is more talking about the reality of imperfection in our life, and imperfection is what it means to be human. It's a very different narrative. But the church over the years has taken on sin in a different way and said, no, this is your starting point, that you are flawed from day one. I remember being at a park with my kids and we were with some family members and my kids were just, you know, being some kids and a couple of them were losing their shit. And uh, a family member looks over to me and says, just a reminder, Corey, that they're depraved. Okay, well, they're not gonna spend the night at your house. Um, and that's built into so many people that the narrative that we're telling people is that there's something wrong with you. And so Jesus comes on a rescue mission to correct the thing that's wrong with you. Again, the good news, the real good news of the church, again, this was the good news of the church for the first thousand years of the church. And it was called theosis. I say it all the time and I keep saying it until people do enough wikipedia on it. Is that theosis is the reality that no, you are made in the image of God 
And the work of Jesus through incarnation is to move you into the likeness of God. It's the reality that of course there's sin in our lives, but you're not starting off as inherently bad, you're starting off as inherently good. And the work of Jesus is to move you into that likeness and that's why you follow Jesus. It's a very different trajectory for your life. You're like, Corey, I've never heard that before. Are you saying some type of heresy? I am not. You can go read Eastern Orthodox doctrine, which is some of the oldest doctrine in the church in theosis and have a broader understanding of where the church began. It's much later in Western Christianity that we moved into these doctrines of sin that depraved human beings, right? It's people like Calvin, it's people like Luther who gave us ideas that we're just, we are no more valuable than horseshit is literally what Luther says. And then that's stuck in consciousness and that's even part of the way that America has built itself. We're constantly trying to prove ourselves through our work ethic because whatever we do is not good enough right? This theology and sociology, it weaves its way together, but there's a broader, bigger story of good news. And so our starting point is everything for how we understand ourselves and what it means to be human and how we understand God. If you're living your life to prove yourself to God because God somehow is is unsatisfied with you, it creates a very unhealthy relationship with God versus a God who every night regardless of how the day went, crawls up into your bed and looks you in the face and makes sure that you know that you are loved. That's a different God. First, the God is punitive and punishes you because you weren't figuring it out. Of course you're not figuring it out. You're the finite one. God is the infinite one who is so holy, so other that this God has a broader perspective on your humanity and your life and can care for you. So if we can understand that starting point, then we can move into understanding temptation and the reality of what temptation is. By the way, just go with me here in this story. At the end of chapter three, chapter three, it says this, this is my son whom I love with whom I am well pleased. And if there was no like chapter marks here and you got to this next part of the story, like, wow, that's a transition. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Okay, this movie is happening rapidly because like right here, Jesus Spirit of God, loved, in scene, you're being tempted by the devil. Okay, there's some things going on. Now, temptation is defined like this. It's a desire to engage in short-term urges for enjoyment that threatens long-term goals. This is a psychological definition I think that's helpful for us because it's actually practical. And what we're trying to do is move ideas like temptation out of the realm of some uh, difficult religious ideology that doesn't serve your life, where you're just trying to please God or check off a list, but it doesn't practically shape who you are in the way that you're transforming as a human being. Now, as a human being, each and every one of us have goals and ideas for our life. Hopefully, the goals that you are rooted in are they're rooted in you because you have a starting point that you are loved by God. But we have all kinds of different aspirations for who we are as human beings. And most of our aspirations are not bad aspirations. The vast bell curve of humanity is to do things like eat every day. I know, it's wild. To have a place to sleep where you feel safe. I know, I know, we're just depraved human beings that want to eat and sleep, right? You want to be loved and have intimacy. Oh my goodness. Right? This is how we are wired as human beings, that we have long-term goals that are meeting those basic needs. 
And then what happens at times is we make short-term decisions that actually pull us away from those long-term goals. Let me pause here and do a little commercial break on sexual decisions. This is gonna be a fun one, here we go. Sometimes, there's people like clapping, sex, I don't know what that was, that was good, we're there. That's good, that's good. Sometimes in a place like New Abbey, what people think that we're doing with deconstructing and reconstructing is that what we're saying, that you can just do whatever you want whenever you want. And that's not what I'm saying. I don't think that's a healthy theology of God. I don't think it's a healthy relationship with God. What we are saying is, you have to go do the hard work. There's not an arbitrary list that just works for every single human being. You have to go figure out, am I living into wholeness? Am I living into health? Or am I living into the disruption of shalom? And even more than that, where maturity will take you is, not only am I living into wholeness, but do my decisions promote the wholeness and well-being of the people who I'm choosing to engage with? It's a very different way of living. And one is not some arbitrary list about what skin touches what skin. Who cares? Not really interesting. What is interesting is a way of life that promotes wholeness and healing in the world. And you have to go do the hard work of deciding, are you participating in that for your life? And by the way, take anything and you could talk about it that way. My eating habits. Am I living in such a way that it promotes wholeness for me and wholeness for the rest of the world? Because we just have too much information now, right? I know that if I eat certain types of red meats in the world, that it's producing a certain type of carbon imprint and we're treating cows in a certain sort of way and how this affects lower economic groups and other countries. You get the point here. But the point is not just having the information and deconstructing it. The point is knowing the information, living into a wholeness and reconstructing a practical way of life that not only works for you and for other people. And guess what? That is an imperfect process that we must be gracious to ourselves and to other human beings for. And it takes time. Sometimes things like substances, right, which Josh was just so beautifully shared with us before, we step into things like substances, and sometimes a drink for me is different than a drink for you. But I'm aware of how a drink for me might impact a drink for you. There's all kinds, we live in a world where all kinds of substances we're realizing, like psilocybin. I'm gonna go get on a whole, I'm not gonna get into that commercial break right now. That's a whole other thing. There's a lot of people, though, that are realizing that it's opening up or even creating healing in their life, but maybe that doesn't work for everybody. The point is that we're growing in a broader understanding of what wholeness and what health is. And so what we think about temptation is incredibly important because temptation is still a reality for us. Temptation is still something that comes into our lives, and it is an urge in the short term that prevents us from the long-term goal. I would imagine that all of us in this room desire intimacy, care, and love by somebody that we're in a committed relationship with that when we're 80 years old, that person is holding our hand on Christmas morning. Does anybody not want that? Okay, yeah, that would be my assumption. But sometimes we trade short-term urges that get in the way of the real intimacy that we desire. Corey, are you saying that if we have sex ever, that, that we're horrible human beings and that are you promoting an abstinence theology that was created by a purity culture and evangelicals in the 90s? I am not. Nobody is signing a purity pledge today. <laughs> Breathe. If you are uncomfortable, that's exactly where you should be today. If you're like a little conservative and you're like, I don't like the way he's heretically talking about temptation. This makes me very uncomfortable. Good. 
And if you're liberal and you're like, well, I'm gonna do whatever I want and nobody can tell me what to do with my body and I'm uncomfortable with the things you're saying, good, that's the place to be because we learn from uncomfortability. And that's the story of Jesus that we're, that we're looking at here. So it says this, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry and the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So the story here is picking up on the Exodus story. The Jesus story is picking up on a previous liberation story and it's trying to expand it. That Jesus was sent into the desert just like the Israelites were sent into the desert after they were uh, exodus from Egypt, right? And now what happened in the Egypt story? God split the Red Sea, liberated those people and moved them into the wilderness. And then it's in the wilderness through temptation that they were actually matured. Again, never the way that we actually wanna grow as human beings, but almost exclusively the way that we grow. I say it all of the time. I would love for my greatest teachers to be Bali and margaritas. They tend not to be. Great places to rest, relax, figure some things out. My greatest teachers tend to be uncomfortability, loss, pain, sorrow, suffering. Well, this is a little bleak and glum, Corey. No, it's just the way to be human. It happens. This is often how we figure things out. It's often the reason that we evolve into a different way. So in this Jesus story, Jesus is given a better starting point about who he is, just like the Israelites in the Exodus story were given a better starting point about who they were. They were not slaves to Pharaoh. They were, right, the chosen children of God. A bigger narrative that they were given. And once they had a better starting point, now it's time for some refinement and for some maturity. So if you're in a place of deconstruction right now and you have a better sense of your identity and you have a better starting point for who you are, now it's time for some maturity. Maturity is the thing that's gonna get the next generation to a place of health. We're not just deconstructing to deconstruct. We're deconstructing to reconstruct something else that will hopefully move humanity forward in a different way. And so temptation becomes a teacher for us and we are often tempted when we're in the desert, when we're in the wilderness, when we're in places of uncomfortability. So if you find yourself tempted in life, desiring things that is an immediate urge that is taking away from your long-term goals, it's not because you're evil and it's not because you're bad. It's because you're a human being who's trying to care for yourself. And so listen to the thing that you're being tempted by. Your temptation is telling you something that is going on within you. The first temptation of Jesus is that the devil comes and says, turn these stones to become bread. And Jesus answers, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The first temptation is around our own self. The first temptation is uh, understanding our basic needs, that we all have basic needs. And that this idea that if you're in the desert and you're starving for 40 days, are you evil because you want to eat bread? No, that temptation is rooted in three different things. Temptation is rooted in our individual self. Temptation is rooted in systemic powers as well. And so sometimes we live in a world of systemic issues where people are hungry or people steal. Why? Because we're not adequately providing for them. You need to steal because we haven't provided and cared for your basic needs. And as human beings, when our basic needs are not met and we don't have the ability to communicate for it, we often are tempted to step into short-term desires that get in the way of our long-term goals. That's true of how we operate as individuals and it's true of how we operate systemically. 
And so when you feel like your basic needs, that there's a temptation on your basic needs, it doesn't mean you're evil. This is a great chance to listen to yourself and say, what might God be teaching me and how might I grow here as a human being? One of the things that I learned in 12-step rooms over 10 years of sobriety is that uh, this phrase called HALT, that if you're having a bad day, you just ask yourself this really simple acronym, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. When we are hungry, angry, lonely, tired, we tend to do weird shit. That's pretty much all that it is. Are we tempted human beings who are depraved and who are evil? No, you might just be hungry. If you had that really difficult conversation with your mom that morning and you wonder why everybody is pissing you off at work, you're angry. If you're feeling in a place where you don't feel connected and you're not experiencing intimacy, maybe you're lonely. And when you're lonely, you tend to do things that don't meet your long-term desires and goals. Maybe you're just tired. How many of you just feel tired this morning? Yeah. Sometimes we're just worn out. We've had busy and full weeks. We just lived through COVID with one another. And we probably had some weird temptations last year because you're just by yourself sitting. You are hungry, angry, lonely, and tired for the last year. And that doesn't mean you're evil. It It means that this temptation is showing you something about where you're at. And it gives you the opportunity to have a bigger perspective for who you are. This story goes on to say this, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple, if you are the son of God. By the way, the, the story of the devil here, um, and we're not, we're not, we don't even have time to get into the devil thing. That's another sermon for another day. I'm looking at the time, I'm like, I'm not gonna do that to you people. Um, but I will say this, the devil is an internal framework. Is there, we can talk about a personification of evil at some other point. But a lot of times, really what the devil is, is our own demons inside an inner voice that we need to listen to in some way. And what that inner voice tends to do when we're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, and more complex things, is it tends to challenge our identity. If you are the son of God, if you are really loved and made in this image, and if you are truly delighted in, right, it challenges our true identity. And so when you feel like your true identity is being challenged, it's a good opportunity to also listen. And the story goes on, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. For me, this is the sin of certitude. What is being offered here is, you so think that you have God figured out that you're going to tell God what to do. Why so many people, why millions of people around this country are deconstructing is because there was an evangelical framework and I am critiquing the evangelical church right now. Some people are like, I don't know. I don't feel like we should always be critiquing things like this. No, there is a critique that I have for the evangelical church that it lived into the sin of certitude. That it believed that it had all of the right answers. And if you didn't listen to those specific right answers, then something was wrong with you. And the truth about those right answers was not because evangelicalism had the best theology, By far, it did not. The reason that evangelicalism felt so pompous to speak to the fact that they had all of the right answers, and we created a framework around those right answers, we gave pastors the authority to really hurt people's lives with those right answers, is because we're the most powerful country in the world, and we have a lot of money. And so we believe and look at ourselves sometimes as heroes because of that, even in the ways that we evangelize the rest of the world and sent missionaries to the rest of the world. We had power, and because of our power, we put an equal sign to certitude. 
Well, of course this is what God wants. Look at us. And in that and in those frameworks, we hurt a lot of people. And we tended to hurt a lot of people who were marginalized, who had different sexual orientations, who had different color skins, right? This is because the evangelical church tended to be predominantly white. And the power structure of it and where the money came from was predominantly white. And certitude is something that will destroy us. So this is not just an opportunity to speak down against evangelicalism and the certitude that was destructive to a lot of people's lives, including my own and many of you in this room for 30, 40, 50 years. This is this opportunity. If you were hurt by that certitude, don't go now and become the person who's so certain that everything you believe is correct. Have some humility and empathy and listen well. And every day we have these conversations with one another. We practice in here listening to other people's stories because the one thing that we're learning in this world is, is that the human experience is incredibly vast and beautiful. And sometimes I hear the human experience and I see good and beauty in somebody else's story that's completely different than my own. And instead of living in a world where I call that narrative evil or bad, I now get to live in a world where I see the beauty in that narrative and that allows me to live as a human being in a different way. And if I can honor that narrative, then I can honor my own narrative in a different way. And it's stepping outside of that temptation to always think that I'm right that brings healing to the world. So if we can see temptation as a teacher for our basic needs, that if we're just hungry, angry, lonely, tired, maybe the, the temptation in our life is just trying to teach us something about who we are. And if we can see temptation as something that is a, a, a moment of certitude where we believe that we're correct, then we can practice humility and empathy and listening. And I believe that temptation, that temptation in not succumbing to it is an opportunity for growth and for healing and for maturity. And then the final temptation of Jesus goes like this. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And all this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So much of the work of deconstruction that is being done right now, the reason why you have an endless amount of Instagram accounts that are doing this, right, is that power was misused. Power is something that we as human beings love to collect. Power is something that we love to have. Power in and of itself is not evil. Power can be used in evil ways. And so when we are tempted for more power, we always have to ask ourselves questions. Because many of you, let me say this this way, all of us have power in this room. Don't let anybody tell you that you don't have power. You have power. You have power over yourself. You have power in other relationships. You have power in the habits and consumption that you have for the rest of the world. You have power to change systems. Now, you might say, well, I don't know, within my own family. Every dynamic, there's an opportunity for you. Every relational dynamic in this world is an opportunity where you might have power. And so it's a good opportunity to take stock of your life and say, what are the places in my life that I actually have power? And in those places of power, am I content, satisfied, or do I constantly want more? If what you're saying is I constantly want more, that's a good opportunity for temptation to be your teacher right there. Because when we want constantly more and we're not satisfied and we're not content, what happens is that we constantly want to consume to be more powerful. And when we're making ourselves more powerful, then we're neglecting the needs of others and we're not empowering. And so the question that we always need to be asking ourselves is, with the power that I have, am I collecting more for me or am I using my power to empower others? You might have the power of a kind word today. Do you use it? You might have the power of generosity today. 
Will you give that gift? You might have the power of caring for yourself today. Will you choose to turn off your phone and take a little Sabbath for yourself? You have inherent power. And when you use that power to care for yourself and to do good and make that choice every day, it's then and there that you make the world a healthier place. Temptation in the world of deconstruction is not something that we need to avoid. We just need a better starting point for how we understand ourselves as human beings. We need a better understanding of what sin is, moving it from an arbitrary list to a broader definition of the disruption of shalom, recognizing that we all crave wholeness and health in our lives. And there are times that because we're hurting, we succumb to temptation because we're trying to care for ourselves. It's not an excuse to do it, but it is a reality. And if we can see that temptation in our lives, if we can allow it to be a teacher for us, then we can find healing, then we can find transformation, and then we can practice in maturity with one another. You're gonna get into your groups, and you're gonna answer this question. What can temptation teach you? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.